Hello and welcome to this latest quarantined edition of the Powder Blue podcast. My name is Frank Close and I'm joined by Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Drinking a lot of coffee. I'm drinking a lot of something, too. It's just not coffee. Well, there's something in the coffee. You know what I mean? Oh, a little buka? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can I can say, honestly, that right now there is only coffee in my coffee cup as we do yeah. this latest edition of the Powder Blue podcast. And uh, it's good to see you. You had a busy week last week with Inside the Birds, Jeff. And and so uh, we, we get to tune things back to baseball a little bit. Not a lot going on specifically in Phillies land, but there's still plenty to talk about around MLB as the game basically is doing what everything else in the world is doing right now, looking for a course ahead. And really the big thing that kind of drives our conversation today, and I encourage you to check this out and, and let's say we, we can link this on our uh, posts. Uh, but Jeff Passan wrote a very long piece in ESPN.com on Monday, kind of laying out some of the big questions about what would, what, what it would take for major league baseball to resume and there's a lot to talk about as as Jeff called it a bible's worth of information uh there's certainly a lot of information out there but here's here's the first thing guys that I think it's important to, to point out people seem optimistic there's going to be baseball yeah I I you know I think that my two big takeaways from that was that by hook or crook there's going to be baseball this year my second takeaway was that I mean, I think we already knew about three or four weeks ago that what we were going to get out of a baseball season was going to be a lot different than what we normally expect. And reading some of the ideas or strategies or solutions, whether it's, uh, you know, five cities or two or three hub cities or even a big baseball tournament, I, I think what I've realized is that it's going to be nothing. This season will be absolutely nothing like what we're used to with a baseball season. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy it, but I do think some of the things that we typically do enjoy about rooting for our baseball team is not going to be the same. It's not going to be, you know, all the games are being played in one city, right? And so if the Phillies lose two out of three, there's no, all right, they'll come home. We'll cheer them up. We, you know, like, like even cheering for individual players that when you see them and you, you feel connected to them because you can go to the ballpark or, you watch them playing in your home ballpark. That's it's not there. I think it's going to feel like one large giant exhibition season year, if that makes sense. Now, Hunter, would you take that, or would you? Uh, are you at the point where you're willing to accept that this year is going to be a little bit different, or uh, you still feel like, you know, maybe if you don't get the the real thing, it, it's it's not going to be satisfying. No, I mean at this point, it is what it is. We, we got to get something going once again, and. I'm on the same page as Mo. It's obvious that it seems like baseball will be back. They are so driven to make sure that this works to the point where they are coming up with any possible way to make it happen. Like They are throwing it into the mix, into the conversation. Even if it's a little bit extreme, even if it's one that makes a lot of sense, it's in the pile and it will be discussed. So they are making sure they are going down any avenue possible, which is nice to hear. At this point, though, I need to see some baseball back, and I, and I need to see it going. I, I don't know if I'm going to agree with if they have to go to the point where it's seven-inning games and things like that. When you start playing a, a, a round with how the game itself is being played, that's when I get skeptical. But in terms of 
you know, divisions and where they're being played and how many games they play against certain opponents, that's where I'm not going to start getting too crazy. But if you start playing around with the game itself and you start getting funky with rules, that's where I might have more of a problem. But if it gets them on the field at this point, I, I guess I have to agree with whatever they do with because they need to get the product on the field. Frank, let me, let me ask you this because you are in a different role than us sometimes as someone who, who covers the sport. I used to, but it's been a long time. I've tried, I think I'm a bad predictor of the future, especially in this scenario where everything's going to be very different, but baseball for us, isn't just the the innings, the games, it's, it's the culture. It's, you know, talking about it every day. It's, you know, if Didi Gregorius is in an 0 for 12 slump and the Phillies lose two out of three to the Cubs with all of these games being played in say Arizona, right? Do you think that like this is going to be filling up the the airwaves? Like, I can't believe we went out and spent X amount of dollars on <laughs> Gregorius and look, he stinks. Like, I don't see that kind of reaction that we all get viscerally from a normal season happening with a season like this. I, I just don't see it unless maybe again, I'm bad at predicting the future. I'm just wondering if you if you've felt the same way about that. yeah i think you're definitely onto something i mean it, it in a way if, if let's say arizona is the place where these games are, are being played it's going to seem very external to us i mean mm-hmm. there won't be phillies fans in attendance booing whoever it is who's ha- is who's slumping a little bit so i, I feel like it's going to be you know something that's that's set apart you know i don't want to say out of sight out of mind because i think fans will really want to get back into it but but you know, maybe in some way they'll just be grateful to have baseball. This, this is what this, this is, maybe this is just me being overly humanly optimistic. But they'll be more grateful to have baseball than they are angry about little things like that. You know, like a, a, a small slump. And you know what? Let's face it: if you're only yeah. playing a handful of games, any any twelve game slump is going to proportionately See, be would, much I much worse. I would like to think that, and then I just remember what occurred during the NFL draft, and we're crazy people here. We are <laughs> crazy people here. I don't know if that's how it's going to be played. Maybe the first week, you know, what if what if the Phillies, right, play their first eight games? And we right now would think, you know what, it's baseball. You get to see the Phillies play. What if they go one and seven? Do you really think that this fan base would say, you know what? At least we have baseball back. Well, maybe they'll just say, hey, at least this isn't one of those seasons that counts. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's exactly I, I, what people are I, going I, to say. Yeah, but what so, if Nick Pavetta loses two, his first two games, his ERA <laughs> is six, and Vince Velasquez is awful? They would be screaming for Matt Clentac's face. Oh, by the way, I, by the way, I just got to throw this in there. I don't plan. To, I didn't plan to talk about this, but we mentioned in the past that baseball reference simulated season, and both – both Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez are starting games in that simulated season, and they're both having a terrible year. Oh, <laughs> well, think about it. Nothing scares me more than the idea that Velasquez and Pavetta are going to have to pitch every single inning in Arizona where the ball just flies out of the ballpark all the time, right? Maybe this is a blessing in disguise, though, because if they do so horrendous in this scenario, they will finally, finally realize it's time to go out and get someone new. Well, you I will say too, you know, we, we have to worry about the likes of Didi Gregorius leaving, JT Realmuto leaving. But, you know, by the time baseball is normal again, Spencer Howard might be ready. Alec Bohm might be ready. So, you know, so maybe at least the, you know, if it's a shortened season, maybe it'll make people feel a little bit like, okay, well, there's, there's a, a light at the end of this tunnel. All right. Well, so let's start to break down. I'm sorry. That was a fascinating part of Jeff Passan's article that we're talking about 
uh, on ESPN.com is that you mentioned Alec Baum and um, and uh, Alec Baum and Spencer, Spencer Howard. Howard, right? If there's no minor leagues, how are these well, guys getting as their work in? You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's there, there's a, a lot to break odd, down, Jeff. Yeah. So why, why don't we why don't we go through these one at a time because it's so much information. So <laughs> let's go through one thing at a time. First things first, and I think the Phillies did a good job with this. Baseball teams, almost all the teams have guaranteed most of their baseball operations employees jobs and payment through the end of May 31st. Now, um, what, what the commissioner has said is Friday, May 1st, this week is the time where you can actually lay people off. The teams can actually lay off their manager or furlough their manager um, uh, as of May 1st. But it sounds like most teams are going to try to hang in there through the month of May, at which time they're hoping that they'll at least have a plan in place. So that's, that, that's a good thing here. You know, we Who's worry about the, the first manager furloughed. It's going to be the Mets manager, right? Because the <laughs> Mets are like going to be the only team that takes the opportunity to save money on this. You know, the will. I hope it's Gabe Kapler. That's not right. That's not <laughs> that's right. That's, well, that's so awful. That's awful. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, I'm not so much worried about them who have made millions of dollars in their careers. But, you know, let's face it. There's, there, you know, I know people that work in security at, at Citizens Bank Park year round and, you know, they're sitting home, you know, it'd be nice. It's nice that they're able to, to, to feed their families. Right. So, uh, so, so I think all, that, that's a very nice thing that, that uh, John Middleton did come out and say he was going to try to take care of, of the fans as, excuse me, the player, the, the non-playing staff as best as he possibly can. So that's, so that's one good thing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see though, when May 1st hits, if anybody actually is furloughed, but uh, so the end of May, though, um, kind of becomes a significant date because with those guarantees of, of paying the staff, you kind of have the expectation that something that's going to happen after that. And then then comes the question, well, well, how do we make this happen? So he kind of breaks down that. Now, Arizona still remains one of the, the very viable places. That's one thing that he gets out of this. Now, it seems like they didn't like that particular idea. Uh, now there's the Arizona, Dallas, Tampa area possibility that's out there. Uh, you know, some people have said things like, well, if if uh, a place that's not so affected by the virus like Minnesota, uh, if, you, you know, there's a dome stadium there, do you, do you try to play some games there if, if it's OK to do so? So so uh, there's a lot that could happen in terms of, of where this could play. But the the one example they say is is something that MLB can look at is, is what the KBO is doing, the Korean baseball organization, Chinese professional league. They're both playing now and they're actually playing meaningful games. You know, a lot of times we talked about it, they were having scrimmages against their own teams. So they, they found ways without fans. And, you know, some people feel that, that this could be feasible uh, perhaps later. Uh, you know, the thought is that major league baseball has the, the money to test everybody. I mean, you know, that, that's the one thing that seems to be the issue here is, is testing, right? Cause uh, whether you work at um, ShopRite or you work at a major league baseball team, if you get tested on the way in the door and you don't have the test and you don't test positive, well, guess what? You can go in and, and safely play. So that seems to be the, the real hang up there, but they hope that they will be able to, to finalize this by, by the end of May. All right, so here's some of the examples. So now that we've, we've run through all that. So here's one scenario. Start the season in July, play an 80 to 100 game season in July, August, September, and October, and have a playoff at a neutral warm weather site in 
November. What do you think about that idea where you kind of concede that because of the weather being what it is, you know, I just mentioned Minnesota, um, right? So, so their, their new stadium does not have a roof, actually. Uh, so you're, you don't want to play there in November, right? So, in fact, you don't want to play there in, in April and May as it is. But, uh, by the way, it was very, very lovely in June, the time I visited. But um, but what, what do you think of that? Like, do you think that that would, that would be okay to you? And I would talk about trying to have some sense semblance of normal. Is it okay if we have to use Texas, Florida, Arizona, and make sure that the playoff games are played there. Hunter, what would you would you be okay with that? Yeah, I mean, to me, this is the one that kind of makes one of the most sense because you're you're sticking with it. It's kind of in the same the, the the same schedule. See, when you start pushing things back and then keep pushing things back and adding more games, and then the World Series is being played in December, just say if that is a route they went with where they pushed it back even farther, well, then that screws up the next season. So what I like about this is, you know, you're. You have to condense the games, which makes sense. Now, this comes into play, though, as I mentioned before. Are they going to start messing around with double headers and starting to get funky with the innings? Because then, to me, that kind of ruins the game. I would rather, if it was 80 games of nine-inning baseball compared to 100 games of seven-inning double headers, I would just say less games is better because then you're playing around with the integrity of it. But if this is how they do it and it's July, August, September, and it gets you into October and, and it's normal laid out with the schedule, it makes the most sense to me. At this point, there's going to be things that you can always question. And then in history, you look back and say, well, I mean, look what happened that year. We, we all know that going into it. So when you look at this and compare it to a normal baseball season, it makes the most sense to me. I'm okay with it because I just don't know what kind of better alternative would exist. Uh, as Hunter says, I mean, I mean, this is the, the 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 seemingly wisest way to do it to ensure that the baseball season at least ends the way it normally would, and then you have a playoff the way it normally would from a time standpoint. Uh, until somebody shows me a better plan, I mean, obviously you're not going to want to play these games up north, even if the up north is. Re- See, that's the only thing. If if we're all open, like let's say the season ends in September, and by that point. Most of the country is reopened, big cities are reopened, and say the Phillies are in first place. You know, who would say, why not now relocate these games to where the fans can see them? And I I just wonder if they would leave some flexibility in the language, or do they just say, look, this is the way the season's going to be. We're not going to try to modify it three quarters the way through and bring it back to where it's supposed to be. I don't know. I can't tell you that I know the best solution. I feel like, um, you know, our lack of information really hurts us from being absolute with anything that we think of. But at least that plan that they presented makes the most sense, I guess. I don't know and, if and, you and, can, though, go back and change. I feel like once they agree that this is it, this should be it. be it. But then we're talking about dollars and money, though. If the owners can make way more money because they can reopen the stadiums, you know that's going to be in the conversation, even though I don't think it should be. If this is it. This is it. But money talks. So, well, yeah, I just think it would look up- a little odd if everything was reopened by October and things are no- like, let's say they even found a vaccine, which would be way earlier than, than the projections. But you never know. And everything's open. And yet you still have baseball condensed to these two or three cities. And you wonder why they can't just readapt to the current climate. So they did actually uh, his next point, And before we get to the alternative is mm-hmm. that if let's say you, you kind of shack up in three locations in Florida, Texas and Arizona, 
uh, with Texas kind of being thrown into the mix uh, in the last 10 days or so. Um, the, the thought was, okay, well, if there is a, you know, sort of reemergence of the virus before the vaccine, then they would just wait it out and then have the playoff next. <laughs> so that was one thing they threw out there, but ha- here's an even better idea, or I don't know if it's better. You could tell me if you think it's better. What if they just play a giant playoff? And here's, here's what one official says. He says, give us 60 days. We could run an amazing tournament. And so, okay. So, t- so Passon takes a step back and says, all right, so think about it like the baseball world cup, six hubs, five teams per hub. You know, you could choose them by division or whatever else, or however, any way you want to do it. They play a four game series against each division component. The two best teams advance and it goes on and goes on. And actually you could do the whole thing in October and November under this scenario. So let's just say, I think if you get to this point, you recognize that the whole season is just scrapped, right? So if you have to start in October, why not just do this fun baseball tournament? Would you guys be in favor of that? Jeff, what do you think about that? Well, in principle, I hate it, to be honest with you. (laughs) Uh, I just think it's kind of gimmicky and NCAA tournament style of competition is not what baseball is about. It's always been about the marathon, every single pitch in the postseason. It's about, you know, winning your division, your rivalries. And this is just like, let's put them all on a big thing, shake them up, have a big tournament and see who wins. However, putting that aside, if you're telling me that this tournament style is the only solution because they can't even start playing in June, July and August, then what am I going to do? Sit here and be like, that stinks. No, don't do it. I mean, Again, I think as Hunter said, you'll take some baseball over no baseball. And, you know, I think it would completely change all of our expectations. At that point, you know, win or lose almost doesn't matter. It becomes like the NCAA tournament. You're like, hey, can you survive in advance? You get, you know, gripped into it. And if they lose, they lose. No big deal. Um, But it's it's really, to me, I hope that that's just the last-ditch effort to get some baseball in and not something that they're kind of weighing evenly with the idea of a shortened season. One and done would be hilarious. That The starting pitching <laughs> would really come into play, which dates us right back to Vince Velasquez and Nick Pavetta. Could you imagine they needed one more win to make it to the final four and Nick Pavetta had to take the bump? Oh, it would just be miserable. Uh, it, it would be or Hector the, Neris having to close uh, out a game against a really good team. And he gets it done. <laughs> and he gets it done. And then when the group chat goes off, might flip you off with an emoji or something. I don't know. Just spitballing. <laughs> but no, this is this is to the point where it's the last straw. It's like, okay, we get nothing. Now, the only thing I would say with this scenario is, one, well, I, no, I don't even want to go down that route. But you wouldn't call it the World Series champion. I wouldn't crown them the World Series trophy. You would make up some trophy for one year kind of thing. I, they would not be World Series champions. They would be... The Dr. Fauci yeah, champions, right? You get something. And then what I was going to say is maybe this sparks an idea, sort of like the NFL draft, where they might implement some of the things they utilized in the NFL draft this year from home into later drafts. And I was thinking, could this be something that they somehow utilize in spring training? I don't know. That's where I was going to go originally, but I don't want to get too crazy involved with this. I don't see another scenario where this trophy, whatever they win, can be implemented throughout the MLB. Well, so the question kind of becomes then what happens if there's no baseball? These are the ramifications he lists, right? So first is, 
instead of the $4 billion plus salary they're owed, the players will get that chunk of money that's just $170 million that they negotiated in a March agreement with baseball. And, you know, players won't get paid. You know, we mentioned, yeah, it's, it's one thing if you're one of those multi-million dollar players and you've had time in the league, but, you know, think about the guy that gets the cup of, co- cup of coffee in the major leagues for a little while and then his career is over. Second, the other issue, you have to, by the way, the CBA expires. <laughs> That's oh, amazing. Well, that, that, terrible timing. Classic. Yeah. What would by you the way, do when you say they don't no get paid? You, you just mean they don't get paid their normal set. They have to take that money that they renegotiated, then it gets redistributed, I guess. So but, no, basically, they, they, they agreed to pay everybody up until um, the end of May, like a certain oh, okay. amount of money that won't exceed $170 million. So gotcha. the I idea behind it was that players, at least in the beginning, would be uh, would be given some money to just sort of tide them over until right. the until things get better and the, the you know and, and let's face it when this got shut down in March you're thinking well maybe you know maybe by the end of next month we're we're back right I mean this is you know it seemed like it could be a shorter term thing than we're actually seeing um, so even even though the the curve is flattening you know this is still taking a while so so that's that's a real issue and then the final issue is that everybody's getting older that uh you know teams are um you know you're gonna get basically the the deal said you'll get a full year of service in the lost season but then what well you know what does dd gregorius look like as a free agent next year so so maybe if you're the phillies you don't get dd gregorius in in 2020 but then but what's his value? <laughs> you know what I mean? Question. So, yeah, a lot of those um, players that, that are on one-year deals or whatever, they're looking for that next big contract. They lose out on that opportunity. Or even yeah, I don't JT. know that it hurts a guy like Didi, who's not old. I mean, he's not young, but he's not old, as much as, say, a guy like Jake Arrieta, right? Because then now he yeah. would be done, and he's not coming off the greatest year. And maybe a team looks at it like, all right, well, at least he had one. It, it might be worth in your favor or against you, a team might say, you know what? He had a whole year off uh, to rest his body. He still very keeps himself in very good shape. We'd be willing to pay him. Yeah. Well, maybe he just gets a flyer, but that, that could be about it. Major ramifications, but there's still much more to talk about. We'll be back after this. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. Welcome back to the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. Talking about Jeff Passan's report from Monday, I encourage you to check that out. That's on ESPN.com. Kind of runs through a lot of the, the scenarios surrounding Major League Baseball and how it might start up again and, and what some of the, the ramifications might be depending on how this thing goes. And the next thing here is a question of, of revenue. Now, um, there were some teams that had said in the past that, you know, baseball without fans is going to cost them more than baseball if it was played. So in other words, the TV revenues uh, from the national sources, from the local sources, that that revenue is going to, to not be enough to make payroll, right? So so kind of the question is, is what do you do? Now, uh, as in the last 10 days or so, there's been some sort of public disagreement. The MLB Players Association has come out and said, uh, well, well, we did not agree to having um lower salaries you know they still want to be paid per game as if they were going to 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 be playing in front of a full house uh but let's face it you know let's just say a team gets two million dollars two million fans a season at fifty dollars a ticket 
I mean, that's significant revenue that teams are going to be losing. So is there a way you think that they can sort of work out those financial details? Jeff, do you think that players would be willing to say, okay, well, there's no fans in the stands, so we'll just operate at 40% of our prorated salary to begin with. Are they going to go for that? Well, I think that the passing article really details the hubris involved here, the ego involved here, and that makes it a very unpredictable situation. There's always been, I mean, with, in, in every sport that I've covered, there's always been a certain level of either distrust or contention between the union and the players union and the owners. Um, here you have to wonder about even the unity among both groups are, are there going to be some owners that take the stance that you're pointing out from the story that it's going to actually cost them money to have a season? I think other owners are, would be willing to face that deficit just to at least preserve the game and have it carry over and have any interest that there is to avoid losing a, a year. I think the biggest picture point was how awful would it look during this time that we're going through to have these millionaires versus billionaires squabbling about money when there are so many people out of work, you would hope. And I think Passon did a good job of, of laying it out this way without predicting the future. You would hope that cooler heads and saner heads would prevail. But listen, when you're talking about billionaires and millionaires, they don't necessarily always care about what's going on in the country or the common person. They care about the almighty dollar. So I'm kind of, I'm at a loss to predict how it's going to go. I would really like to think, that they'll be able to figure out a way to make, there's gotta be some voice of reason among both groups that say, look, we all have to understand we're not getting exactly what we want, but for the promise of tomorrow, baseball needs to happen today. Now, one way that they try to promise tomorrow and he was kind of bringing up is let's say you offer to defer money until you have stadiums packed again. Hunter, do you think that that's a good compromise? I, I don't think – two things came to my mind when Moshe was speaking. One of them was, I don't see a way in hell that these players are going to take less money. I mean, that's just what it is. If, if you're playing the game, you're getting paid that money, and, and I think they deserve to get paid that money. That's something that they are entitled to. I, I, come on, will, will athletes really play the game for less money? I just don't see that being an option, and maybe that's – that's the wrong way to think about it. Uh, just personally, if you tell me that these athletes are going to openly say, you know what, we'll work for less than half of it. No way. I, there's just no way that that's going to happen. And then the second thing I thought about was, would advertising come into play to to help this out a little bit more than normal? I mean, with baseball being back on TV or any sports being back on TV, how many more eyes are going to be on it? I keep relating this to the NFL draft because that's the the recent thing that came on. But look at the numbers. Look how many people are watching that because there's right. nothing else going on. So it's not going to be enough to say make money. But if if you can somehow squeeze out more sponsorship money based off of knowing how many more people are actually going to be viewing it, maybe that helps down the road to an extent. To what extent? I don't know, but maybe well, a little bit. Yeah, and that's more ammunition for the players to not believe the owners when they say they're going to lose money. The, the players never believe the owners when the owners, every every CBA negotiation, say that they lost here, lost there. The players constantly say, show us the books. The owners never show you the books. And that's what leads to the level of distrust. And this is in every every organization. So I agree with Hunter. I don't think the players, unless you physically put numbers in front of them from ownership, right, that says they are losing money are going to agree to take less money. And the owners will never actually put the books in front of them because, well, we know why. <laughs>
it's just an idea I had. Like, what about some sort of revenue sharing? If if they if baseball as a whole agrees to just put it all into one pot of money. I mean, if you're playing in these neutral sites, the the television deals, do you think they'd be willing? Perhaps is this a compromise that if we all agree to share the revenue, figure out the right percentages for the players? Uh, uh, do you think that's a way to maybe get it done, Jeff? Um, I think it's a good suggestion, but I can see a lot of haggling over the percentage split. It, at the end of the day, it's the same argument, just in a different forum, right? How much money we're making versus how much money you are making. Yeah, I think in theory, that sounds like a great civilized thing. Like, let's sit down. Let's have this conversation. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. talk about it. That's just not how this thing works when you talk about reality. But it sounds great in theory. Well, let's move on to something else here, because this is another real issue, too, and that's minor league baseball. So before all this ever happened, there was a proposal to cut 40 minor league teams. But but, but first, let's start with this question. Is there going to be minor league baseball this year? Like, can you think about everything you're talking about in terms of getting major league baseball going? You're talking about playing in a biodome in, in Arizona or Texas or Florida. How do you play a game in Reading? How do you play a game in Trenton? How do you play a game in uh, in Lakewood? Like you know, you know, there's 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 not going to be the same kind of availability to 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 select safe spots to go play and to really play these games. So, what do you do, Hunter, if you have no minor leagues? I'm thinking about it right now. What if you got to call someone up? What if people start getting injured? What what do you do if you got to make uh make some sort of move to your roster? See, this is where you got to dive deeper than just, well, we want MLB back because that's a big time issue. And and I don't know, can you play an MLB season without getting some sort of minor league players going? Because what if seven people get hurt, eight people get hurt? And, and what do you do? Do you just have to start pulling from free agency guys that are sitting at home, not playing, not competing, and that's what you need to do? You got to find players who haven't been playing baseball at all or or, hey, maybe you pull up those minor league players who haven't been playing at all and you tell them, just be ready. Be ready just in case. And it's on them to do it. Is that the best way to handle this? I, I feel like you got to get them going at some point too. Yeah, you absolutely have to have some version of a minor leagues. Now, I don't think it's going to be attended and people will be watching it, but I don't. if you're in Arizona, if you're in Dallas, if you're in um, any, any city in Florida that, that's been proposed, I don't see why you can't have minor league players also performing in other, whether they're high school, whether they're college stadiums in stadiums around where no people are allowed to watch, but they're playing simulated games either against each other or, or just doing the same things that the major league teams are doing just at a minor league level in front of nobody in stadiums to be ready because Hunter's right. It doesn't matter if the, the, the rosters are expanded. There are certain teams, look at the Yankees last year. They had like 30 guys go on on the uh what is it called the il now right you got to have a system where guys are playing performing and then being able to tap into them if you need them yeah it's almost like you need to say all right get get like three guys from every position and just kind of be hanging around <laughs> like if, if you're hunkering down in arizona maybe you have to go to arizona state university and just yeah it's got to you know, be play, close. play catch <laughs> yeah you you have to have your guys where um your major league team is playing you know, so if you're, you know, if the, if the Phillies are stationed in 
in Arizona with a cluster of teams, then all the minor league players got to be somewhere in that area. Well, does revenue come into play with that as well in terms of, you know, these guys get paid like nearly nothing. And who takes care of that? Did, who is in charge of all that? Is that part of the MLB owner's money that helps pay those AAA players? Like, how would that work out? Because that league doesn't make money. They don't make anything. So I'm just thinking, we talk about how much it would cost the owners of the MLB teams to put on a product without any fans. What would that do to a AAA, AA, A affiliate that makes literally five cents? It's a good, yeah, that's a good question. I would think that the rules are – I think that minor league baseball does actually make money. Um, but I, in, in a sense, sometimes they're separate entities that work together. I think in this format, there would be no quote-unquote minor league organization. It's just an organization. So the Phillies are in Arizona. They've got their major league team here, but then they have their – you can call them spares, reserves, whatever – working out somewhere else instead of calling them the triple a or double a or even single a affiliate you just have their players who are playing certain games against other teams of the same caliber i wonder if yeah, very very interesting wise, question that can, that can happen i don't know i mean i'm just saying like is there something in their contract that says they can't do something outside of the triple a affiliate the double a affiliate you know that's something that could technically be ruled out i don't know though I mean, do you treat it like other sports and you just activate the players you're going to activate for that late's game? And and even though your roster and they talked about a expanded roster even before all this, you know, got this far. But instead of having a roster of 29 or 28 or whatever it was going to be, do, do, do you just, you know, have a roster of 40 and just activate 25 a day? Well, I definitely think you have to have an expanded roster. Um, I don't know that you need to if, as long as you have your players nearby. And if somebody gets hurt, you can tab in, tap into somebody the next day who's, you know, training or practicing with other people. I think you'll be all right. That seems the most realistic. It's more of a not so much minor leagues getting ready to play because that seems like that's not going to be the answer. But it's more of just be ready. Be ready if yeah. your number's called, whatever that means. If you got to do this, you do that. If you got to do this, whatever. I mean, it's not going to be structured, though. It seems as if the way that this is headed just be ready, be next to your phone, and if you get the call, make sure you're going to be able to play. Yeah, I don't know why, though, they wouldn't be able to figure out a way to structure it. You know, and, and if they have to change the language a little bit just for one year, I think the there can be enough negotiations at the table to do that because I, I just wouldn't want my guys leaving it in their hands say, hey, just keep yourself active. I would want structured practice and simulated games and games every single night. And are there the facilities to do that? I guess that's the big question. So it seems like you're already kind of packing a bunch of people into uh, geography as it is. Well, then where do, where do you put all these players? Like, are they just swimming in the hotel pool? Like, is there exercise? Like, I, I really got to wonder the logistics here. And, and it's kind of a, you know, the fact that we've spent this much time talking about the logistics of having a bench and having a, or a bench, not in the physical sense of being on your active roster, but mm-hmm. beyond your, your, Beyond the bench, I guess is, is a better way to say it. Um, that that, that kind of shows that there's still a lot to figure out along the way before you can make baseball happen. And 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 really, you know, one of your favorite players, uh, Jeff, that you were texting me about the other day, uh, Sean Rodriguez. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe guys like Sean Rodriguez who who uh, maybe not make the uh, major league roster. Um, you know, they they might have to uh, you know just kind of hang around, and that might be the the their last lifeline in the major leagues is, you know, the veteran utility types who just, just might need to spend a long summer 
in Arizona or Florida or wherever they may be. So I just, I just had to get before, Sean Rodriguez yeah. in there. By the way, Jeff was texting me on Sunday because there was a 2018 Phillies game broadcast on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and it included a leadoff home run of Sean Rodriguez <laughs> against Aaron Nola. Real, yeah. real quick before we, hit, before we hit the break, what was his quote last year that got everyone all riled up? For some reason, I'm having Fans a Fans are entitled. Fun. Ah, that's <laughs> right. What an outstanding quote. Smart man. Really, yes. smart man. <laughs> well, you are entitled to your break, so we'll be back after this. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. Be right back. And we are back on the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. We're talking all kinds of baseball scenarios to get baseball back. And one unfortunate thing that was sort of going on before any of this happened and now seems to seems to be back in well it's not in the spotlight but it seems more likely now that the economic world is sort of collapsing is the potential contraction of 40 minor league baseball teams and uh you know right now it's 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 you know what's kind of changed is that you know for for example so the phillies would have lost one affiliate in this contraction of 40 teams and the williamsport short season team would have been the one to go and the reason why this is significant and why perhaps they could get away with it now more than ever is there might not be a draft or if there is a draft, you know, are you going to draft somebody that didn't play their senior season or, or their as, as often as the case, their junior season of college, you know, a lot, a lot of the college players are going to just stick around for another year in college because they didn't get their last season to, to show teams that they're valuable so you might not even have the players necessarily to staff some of these affiliates anyway. So it's looking more likely than before that 40 minor league teams could go. So Jeff, let me, just tell me your thoughts on the idea in general and uh, perhaps how this scenario might have affected this. Well, th- this was something that was being discussed even before the virus, correct? It was. And that's just kind of a sign of the economic times. I mean, things are, Things have really changed with the minor leagues, Frank, over the last 20 to 20 years. And in, in that a, you know, it used to be where triple a was your proving ground for, for your really talented um, potential major leaguers. Now it's double a, right. So you get guys kind of jetted up to double a a lot quicker than they used to. I mean, I, I don't know who spends an entire season in short season a, or even a middle a anymore, if they're really good or if they're a top pick, unless they really, really, really struggle. So I can see that. And then, you know, a lot of the stadiums, in, a lot of the AAA stadiums do well because they're in good, high, densely populated area, family, fun, entertainment. Um, I, the short season A, I know in Florida, there's almost barely anybody there. Who's going to go sit in like 100 degree weather, right, and watch some guys you, you may never heard of. So there was some inevitability to what you're talking about anyway um, in a time where we're, people are just trying to save money and, and be more efficient. And obviously this throws another monkey wrench into it. I mean, it's, it's hard to say it has an impact in like our lives, right? I mean, unless you really go see a lot of single A built ball, if you live in a podong town and that's the only thing going on, then it impacts you a little bit more. But from a, just a, a viewership standpoint, I'm not sure that changes much for the common Philadelphia fan. You know, AAA is still going to be there. Uh, I assume the Jersey team, right? The Lakewood team isn't going anywhere. Uh, the Blue Claws, right, and then the Double A team. Reading has been an institution. I don't see much changing with that. I wonder if this is a good thing, though. It's sort of like, uh, to an extent, I, I respect all the players that are working their asses off trying to compete and really trying to work their way up and all of that, but 
you know, is it, is it too watered down? Are these prospect pools too watered down to the point where maybe they can shrink this? And most was talking about how it's kind of developed into this new phase of minor league baseball where double A is the most important and triple A seems to be more of those guys that probably won't get that opportunity again. They're, they're more of the older minor league players and the double A is more of, hey, let's pull from this group. Maybe it's uh, it's it's just the way to go. It's moving. It's sort of like watching that MJ documentary, seeing 90s basketball, and then you remember the 2000 era, and now you're seeing 2020 basketball. Everything develops, and maybe this is just part of the developing of baseball when it comes to the prospect part of it. It's too watered down, in my opinion, and there's no reason to sit back and wait for these A guys, you know, so for these guys who've been playing there for a long time. You know, are they ever really going to make it? With all due respect to them and their work ethic. Yeah, right, and so, then go ahead. No, you you first, Jeff. I was just gonna say some of this again, I think is just inevitability, as Hunter is mentioning over time. But think about all the levels of baseball that you have. You have your in many cases, three levels of A ball, double A, triple A, majors, extended fall league or Arizona Fall League, Mexican League that a lot of people play in, in the um in the uh offseason. Uh, you've got the developmental academies all throughout Latin America. I mean, it does seem like there are so many outlets for players playing baseball professionally, or at least getting paid for it, that it was going to come to a time where you, you looked at it and said too many. I feel like in 20 years, we're going to finally, people are going to finally wake up and realize that these bowls that you see, like the progressive Meineke card care, something bowl, it's not making that much money that people think. And then it's going to be, excised at some point and you're not going to have 300 college football bowls in which 150 of them are barely profitable well the one thing that i think at least as someone from the phillies perspective is kind of disappointing to lose is the thing about williamsport is they play where the college world series basically takes place you know that that's what williamsport is and what it's known for in fact the major league teams have played at historic bowman field in the last couple of years they they had i think they also had bb and t bank name on it but mm-hmm. anyway um but you know i did travel up there a few years ago uh the phillies had a, a pitching prospect p- pitching there named franklin kilo may who you may remember was the guy ultimately traded to get as cabrera from the mets uh but you know i'll tell you going up there in the middle of the summer not it was like going to a high school game like there's so few fans right. i bought this walk-up ticket for six dollars which basically had me like on top of the dugout and I could talk to the players in the on-deck circle. You know, like like a lot of those players don't really pan out, as you said. You know, so it's almost like uh, the season, uh, the short season goes from uh, June, late June, and it's over before September. So it really is a short season. So you're not losing that much per se. And one thing that's a, an interesting component of this, so they're not going to bother drafting until August under this scenario. So it almost eliminates the need to throw somebody somewhere for a couple months. The drafting thing, though, is very interesting for next season. And, you know, you talk about these seniors and whatnot. It's just at this point, it's, you know, there's. I just feel like there's so much. Well, you, well, for college athletes, you can go back, right? They did grant that because they lost their season. They only got to play half of it or so. So yeah, they still have a year of eligibility. Right? Yeah. I, I just think the pool now is going to be so. Mu- Am I missing something when I say this? Is is my brain not working properly in terms of this draft? Yeah. So th- yeah. So this year, so often, usually, what happens in baseball, you either drafted after year one or you could be drafted again after year three. Correct. So a lot of people that would leave it, like Chase Utley drafted out of year after year three. So he didn't, he could have come back for his senior year if he, if he would have. So basically now all the people that would have 
taken the draft early. Anybody who would have had a, had been a senior, they all get to stay. And so if they all stay, then, then in, interestingly, the baseball programs themselves are going to have fewer players getting into those at the college level. So, so that, that makes this uh, a lot trickier. This is actually going to create sort of a, a domino effect that's going to kind of push everything forward as it is. I'm just verifying that my brain was working properly because sometimes, you know, <laughs> Too much caffeine, too much coffee, too much whatever else is in there. You know, I mean, the brain doesn't work. So I was just making sure it was <laughs> on the right enough. track. You know, I knew something was right. I knew it. It, it felt right. And, and you know, there are a couple of places that 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 uh, the teams, you know, like Mahoning Valley Scrappers, right? If you're in Youngstown, Ohio, what what's there to watch? Well, you know, I mean, the, so there's it, the right. there's a junior hockey team up there. Some junior hockey <laughs> no, knowledge geez. in the United States uh, United States Hockey League (USHL). So you have that. Yeah. Right. So, but basically, like, it's nice for the community. The started to turn though. I mean, when 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 the Dodgers left Vero, um, I don't know how many years ago now. It, it feels like yesterday, but it's probably been you know five to seven years. That was huge. I mean, that, I mean, Dodgers and Dodger Town. Spring training, the only place where the fans could literally go and touch the players as they were walking onto the field. I'm sure the players hated that. But that when, when they moved to Arizona, I mean, a real institution just died right then and there. And that was kind of like the idea that things were changing with the minor leagues and the spring training and everybody sharing academies and big pristine uh, complexes in both Florida and Arizona. And, and the world was we were just going to have to adjust. Yeah, def- definitely a different world, uh, and we'll see what happens with this. I mean, I I feel bad for the small uh, small towns that that had the um, luxury, kind of a luxury of having a you know something to do in the summer. But um, some, by the way, some of the big names there is set to be cut. The Chattanooga Lookouts. At one point in in Philly's history, they had a minor league uh, team there, and be interesting to see what happens. Some of these some of these cities might be big enough to get a an independent type team, but certainly like the Connecticut Tigers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I know somebody who worked for them. It's it's not that big. All right. Last thing we I want to talk about quickly before we finish the Boston Red Sox finally got a penalty for their sign stealing. And, and all it led to was a suspension for a year of somebody in the video room and the loss of a second round draft pick. Uh, Jeff, is that any punishment at all? Not much. I mean, but does the punishment fit the crime? I mean, it sounds like their uh, system of cheating was a lot less advanced or it's not that there was, they didn't know what Houston did. It's just that they decided not to take it to the extreme that the Astros took it. Of course, Joey Cora is already Alex Cora. Alex Cora has already lost his job. Uh, So, I mean, some of the punishment was just take was, was taken out of their, their control anyway. And the Red Sox, went on it yeah i'm not i'm not really uncomfortable with the punishment i think that what happened with the astros has probably sent the message that if you do something like this again you're going to get you're going to get nailed and you're going to get fined and you're going to lose i mean again some people think that the astros weren't penalized enough but i think the messaging was more what was prevalent and that people know now they can't get away with it Hunter, you have the closing thought, you know, is a second round draft pick loss going to deter, deter anybody in the future from playing with sign stealing? No, and, and I don't think that sign stealing is, a, it's part of baseball, but it has to be in the terms of legitimately in baseball. You know, you get to second base, you start giving signs of who's up to bat. That, that type of sign stealing is totally okay. You bring in this technical stuff. 
But in, in terms of the Boston Red Sox, I'm not too disappointed in what they got handed down. It was a slap on the wrist. And to be honest with you, I think the Houston Astros was a little bit of a slap on the wrist as well compared to what they really did. But, you know, I, I think because it was so bad and the the punishment wasn't big enough, I think everyone will be afraid for what the next punishment is, if you will. So take take that for what it is. I think maybe it was so weak and it's so known that it was weak that you should be scared to be the next one because it might be so harsh in the extreme. At least that's hopeful thinking. Well, that'll do it. We had plenty of baseball to talk about, even though there is no game action and Looking forward to a good show next week. We're scheduled to have Todd Zalecki of MLB.com to talk about his new book on Roy Halladay, which I can't wait to pick up myself. So hopefully you'll tune in next time. But for the Powder Blue Podcast, Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody, be safe, everybody.